We are glad that you are listening to this audio recording produced by All Things New Church of Birmingham, Alabama. For more information regarding the ministries of All Things New Church, please visit us online at www.allthingsnew.us. Tonight is the fourth sermon in a series that we're calling Authentic Christianity. One of the reasons that we're doing this series is because there are so many varieties of Christianity. There's Catholic and Protestant. Um, have any of you ever been to a Greek Orthodox service? You couldn't get farther away, could you, than, than maybe going to a Baptist service or a Pentecostal service or Methodist or Presbyterian or Anglican. The list goes on and on. Now, one of the reasons that we're doing this series is because it is so important that we see that at their best, all of these varieties are united around what matters. It's very important that we not be prejudiced Christians, that we recognize that whatever the middle name of the church is, First Baptist, you know, um, Briarwood Presbyterian, St. Peter's Anglican Church, you know, whatever your middle name is, that all of these denominations, all of these varieties have something in common, and the thing they have in common is what matters. There is such a thing as authentic Christianity, or one person, C.S. Lewis, called it mere Christianity. The thing that we have together, the mereness to Christianity, the thing that's you can't have it without it, and everything is built upon it. So authentic Christianity, it's, it's that which sits at the heart of every legitimate expression of the Christian faith. It's, it's so important that we as a church, as we're getting started, that we learn to embrace and work with other Christians, no matter what stripe they come in. It's important that we are deeply ashamed of the turf wars. I'm hoping this series calls us out of that kind of arrogant stance. Now, three weeks ago, when I began this series, the message that that night focused on Luke chapter 3. And in that chapter, we're taught that the Christian faith at its heart, in its core, it's about something that happened to Jesus and through Jesus. That, that the essence of Christianity, authentic Christianity, is, is about Christ. It, it's about a belief. The belief that the one and only living God has fulfilled a set of unique promises that he made to Israel. And, and that he fulfilled these promises through Christ. And these promises, they all revolve around the one true God rescuing his entire creation. Now, that's the essence of authentic Christianity. And, and you find this belief in the Baptist expression of the faith and the Catholic and the Eastern Orthodox and the Methodist and the Presbyterian, the Anglican, et cetera, et cetera. We all share. We have a lot of um, difference on second tier issues. But on the first tier stuff, on the core stuff, on this stuff, on this thing I'm talking about that God promised to Israel and through Israel to rescue his whole creation, we all share the belief that Jesus is God's one and only rescue operation that has been put into effect once and for all, that, uh, that in Christ a great door is swung open in the cosmos and it can never be shut. 
We all share that, whether it's in a Russian Orthodox or an Ethiopian Orthodox or the Coptic or no matter how far away you go from this particular cultural expression of Christianity, that is authentic Christianity. Now, because this is a bedrock, core belief of genuine Christianity, it is also something that authentic Christians are committed to unapologetically. See, there's both an expansiveness to authentic Christianity. It gives me a a place to embrace the Methodist or the Presbyterian or the Catholic. But it also, there is an exclusiveness to authentic Christianity because it draws a fixed point in the sand. And it says, beyond this, I can never move. It's like a fixed boundary stone. It's a center that can never be negotiated. And that I unapologetically admit it looks exclusive. But on these core issues, I just take my licks. In a a culture that has idolized tolerance, on these issues I'm intolerant. On these issues, I just take the licks. Now, without this belief about Christ, you do not have Authentic Christianity, no matter what it's called, no matter what name sits on the church building, it is not real Christianity. Real Christianity has been lost. The genuine faith has been lost when that belief is not in the hearts and minds of the people who come through the doors of whatever church is at hand. Now, this goes all the way back to the very beginning. And, and we'll see it spelled out after the sermon in the Apostles' Creed. Every week after the sermon, we recite together this summary of the Christian faith that's more than 1,600 years old. Why do we do that? We do that, first of all, because it reminds us of the immovable center of Christianity. It reminds me of what I need to be arrogant about and everything else that I should be humble about. Every week I'm reminded, this is the sinner stuff. This is the non-negotiable stuff. This is the stuff for which we fight and die for unity. But it simultaneously gives me humility because it lops off everything else as something that I can disagree with Fran about and laugh on the way home while he's wrong. But if Fran is wrong about this essential stuff, I weep on the way home. See, I can put my arm around anybody in this city who, who, who agree, disagrees with me outside of this and still call them my brother and sister in Christ. But on this, this stuff, we have 1,600 years. We have cultural and historical precedent. To recognize that if there's disagreement on that central central stuff, there is a gulf between us. That I should never overlook in the face of cultural pressure to tolerate. Now, all of this is the reason that we began this sermon series with the question, who is Jesus? Because all of this says at the center of Christianity is Jesus. And we saw that for authentic Christianity, there is only one true God, and that God exists eternally as the Father, the Son, that's Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus is the second person of what we call the triune God. He's God's son. So for authentic Christianity, if you want to know who the real God is, as opposed, as arrogant as this sounds, as opposed to the non-gods of other religions, then you must think in terms of the God who sent his son in order to fulfill his age-old plan to rescue the world. Now, this is a confession. I cannot prove it. And it's very complicated. Triune God, Father, Son, Spirit, same God. It's a mystery that short circuits our minds. But it's at the heart of authentic Christianity. And as if that's not tough enough, authentic Christianity also claims that as the Son of God, Jesus is the fulfillment of God's one and only promise to rescue this world. In other words, He is the only solution to the brokenness of the world. Now, I've gone over all of this again, even though I said it three weeks ago, because it is of incalculable importance. And we've got to learn it and say it and think about it and remind each other of it over and over again. Because the things I just went through, that is what separates authentic Christianity from civic religion. And it's those things you'll be persecuted on. It's those things that you can't say in the boardroom or on the telecast as Brit Hume without getting nailed. It is those things for which we would once again discover persecution in America. It's not the Judeo-Christian ethic. It's not the beauty of Christianity. It is the exclusive, arrogant, radical beliefs in God's once-for-all solution to the world's brokenness. Now... Let's turn our attention then to, I think, the question that follows, who is Jesus? Since the essence of authentic Christianity revolves around believing and following Jesus, the the second question, how then do I follow him? What does it look like to really follow Jesus? And that is the central issue in Luke chapter 8. If you have a Bible, find this passage that Rebecca thanks your gift of reading Some of us, if we had tried to read that many verses, the room would have fallen asleep. But you you held it together. Thank you. Luke chapter 8. In this chapter, Jesus is focused on describing. First, he teaches it. And then Luke, the evangelist, illustrates the teaching through a trilogy of scenes. Three scenes, three profound miracles. The last one is a weaving of two together. And we see that Jesus is focused like a laser on describing, get this, the kind of faith that is necessary to follow him. And the kind of faith that's necessary to be in God's family, the family of God. He kind of... Lays it out in this chapter. In other words, the kind of faith necessary to be an authentic Christian. Let me summarize it up front and then we'll kind of work our way through pieces of the chapter. Here's a summary of what what this whole chapter teaches specifically and then illustrates with the trilogy of scenes. It's this. Authentic Christianity is marked by the kind of faith that is active. In some very specific ways. Authentic Christianity is marked by the kind of faith that is active in four ways. The kind of faith 
that when it hears Jesus, this person responds in four ways. Belief, obedience, perseverance in trials, and all of that together producing fruit. Those four things, Jesus say, characterize the kind of faith that is, that is authentic faith. That's the real deal that will separate whatever the middle name is on your church building. Real Christians from civic Christians, from cultural Christians, as harsh as it sounds, from fake Christians or deceived people that think they're real Christians. In Luke chapter 8, we see that there, there is a type of person who forms the church, the real community of Jesus. And it's the person who listens correctly. If you, were, if you listened to Rebecca, you heard this woven throughout the chapter. Look, look with me at, at verse 8. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 10. So that hearing they may understand. Verses 12 and 13 and 14 and 15, those who hear in in various forms. Verse 18, take care then how you hear. Verse 21, those who hear the word of God. Look, when my mama said something to me that many times in the space of that, right? This, This is the point, right? In other words, think about how profound this is. Jesus is defining genuine Christianity by genuine listening. And and think about how challenging that is to us who demand bread like, like the Roman citizens demanding the Colosseum. And Jesus is saying in this age that can't sit still, this could determine if you're in or out. Genuine hearing. Jesus' point is that as followers, real followers of Christ, authentic Christianity, Christians not only listen to what he says, but they listen in a particular kind of way. So what kind of way is that? That's what you should ask at this point. Holy cow, if the way I listen matters, then what's the right way of listening? What is genuine listening when it comes to Jesus? And guess what? In this chapter, he defines genuine listening Over and over again. In verses 12 and 13, he says it's when you hear and believe. And then in verse 14, he says it's not when you hear, but what you hear is choked out. And then in verse 14 and 15 together, he says it's when you hear in such a way that it produces fruit. And then in verse 15, he goes on to say it's when you hear and hold fast in the face of trials and listen if you think if you think that some prayer you prayed can get you off the hook of lasting through trials just think about judas he was described as a disciple he believed that stuff he was an agent of miracles but he didn't make it this, this is serious business to God. Verse 21, that genuine hearing is when you hear and do. In all of these cases, I want you to see that genuine hearing is associated 
with an active response. Jesus is teaching that it is necessary to hear and to act on the basis of what you hear. Now, that's the parable of the soils. That's what it's all about. It's all about how you hear Jesus. And however many soils there are, Jesus is basically saying there's only two options when it comes to listening to me. You can hear me and go on to produce fruit based on what you hear, or you can hear me and go on to not produce fruit. Those are the only two options. And those who produce fruit, they're included in the family. And those who do not produce fruit, no matter how many times they sit in church, no matter how long they've been dunked, no matter how much of the bread and wine they've received, they're not in the family. Notice what happens in the second half of the chapter. This teaching I just went over, genuine hearing, it's illustrated. Look at verse 28. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Here we have an example of somebody sees him and hears him and has this incredible response. Look at verse 35. Then people went out to see what had happened and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. You have in this one verse two different responses to seeing and hearing Jesus. Look at verse 41. And there came a man named Jairus who was a ruler of the synagogue. And notice there's a response. Falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. Verse 47. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. All of these are examples of people that recognize Jesus, recognize his authority and respond to him either with active faith or fear, rejection, various ways. Now, let me make one application of this. There's lots and you need to think on it and pray on it. But let me just give one that I think matters to us. And it has to do with atheism and skepticism. I'm talking about people, and all of you, I hope, know people like this, who have an intellectual barrier that they cannot surmount to the faith. They have intellectual reasons for doubting or disbelieving or discounting Christianity. But for many of them, not all of them, but many of them, when you dig beneath the surface, you discover that their doubts and their skepticisms and their cynicisms are set against the backdrop of having been disappointed by the church or by individual Christians. And can you think of somebody like that right now? They've got lots of barriers, but you know them well enough to know that there's a backdrop there of a, of a disappointment. Now, why does this matter? Well, here's how the rubber meets the road. In Luke 8, We see that claiming to be a Christian does not make one a Christian. Jesus is so serious about getting you and me to reflect on genuine hearing. What's the implication? There is an ungenuine hearing. If he's so serious about forcing us over and over and over to think about authentic Christianity, what's the implication? By extension, there is an inauthentic Christianity. 
And, th- and there are some churches who hear the words of Scripture read every Sunday, but they've lost the center. For whatever reason, there's no longer belief or obedience. There's no longer the capacity to persevere in the maelstrom of a brutish and hellish life that we sometimes face. And there are whole churches for whom there is no fruit. And for whatever reason, genuine Christianity that once existed has been choked out. This whole teaching about real versus unreal Christianity, it culminates in verses 16 to 21. Here we see that Jesus insists that authentic Christianity and inauthentic Christianity, both of them are grounded in your heart. And they are so deeply grounded in your heart, your realness or fakeness as a Christian flows out of your heart. And it is manifested in your behavior. Now, I'm not saying every person that's been harmed by a Christian and as a result lost an ability or got barriers to faith. I'm not saying every one of those Christians who abused or hurt are really fake Christians, but I'm saying a lot of them very well could be. There are a lot of people who could be facing the lack of fruit, the lack of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness in a person claiming to be Christian, but really is not a Christian. And therefore, based on a false claim or do you see what I'm saying? They're discounting the whole, whether it's the person or or the church. Look at verse 16. No one after lighting a lamp covers it up with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter will see. Jesus is saying here, how you hear God's word cannot be hidden. You've got to read verse 16, not in light of you. Many of you are accustomed to reading it according to Matthew 5, where he's talking about how you share your faith, right? about nobody lights a lamp and hides it and all that. But that's not the context here. Because right before he's talking about how you hear, and look at verse 18, take care then how you hear. Clearly the context of this lamp's illustration is on hearing. What he's saying is your genuine hearing or lack of genuine hearing will be evident. You will not be able to hide it. You will demonstrate the trueness of your faith. Look at verse 18. Take care then how you hear. For the one who has more be given. From the one who has not. Even what he thinks. It will be taken away. He's saying how you listen again. It will become evident to everyone. So listen well. Listen well. This is what he said in the parable of the soils. He said, some hearing leads to incomprehension. You just don't understand. And other hearing leads to short-term faith. But it dwindles, right? But both of these, while they appear to be genuine, neither are genuine because neither yield fruit. Authentic Christianity is only present when you hear Jesus' teaching. You believe it and you live it out to the point that it produces fruit. If you hear but don't believe, or you hear and believe it, but you don't hold on to it in the face of trials, or you hear it but don't hold on to it long enough to produce fruit, then you do not truly believe. You are not a part 
of authentic Christianity. And then, as if he hasn't rang the bell loud enough, his mother and his brothers show up. His mother, of whom it was said just a few chapters earlier, blessed is she among all women, right? They come to him. It says in verse 20, he's told your mother and brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. And he is so. Listen, if you think family's important here, you have no clue what it's like in a tribal oriental culture. Can you in that culture? Jesus is so intent on you and I realizing there is such a thing as authentic and deceptive Christianity. He then utters something that in that culture would have dropped every jaw to the floor. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. To be a part of God's family, to be an authentic Christianity, it's not about bloodline. It's not about some cultural embrace of some generic religious system. It's solely about you as an individual hearing and doing the word of God. The teachings of Jesus. And this is, we've heard this throughout Luke as we've been going through it. Authentic Christian faith expresses itself in the belief in Jesus as God's son and obedience to his teaching. The flip side of that. I'll I'll bring that up in a minute. One other thing. Authentic Christianity requires a personal journey. Journey, a process. We see that in this chapter. It's not private, but it is personal. What I mean by that is you as an individual are held accountable. But it's not private. It's not something you can sector off from all your other relationships. Jesus, throughout this chapter, is interacting with individuals. In verses 2 to 3, Mary, Joanna, Susanna. Verses 1 to 2, the disciples. Then the demon-possessed man. Then the woman who was diseased. Then Jairus. And Throughout the chapter, do you see that Jesus is not interacting with crowds? He's interacting with individuals. With Grace Ann, with Allison, with Marla, with Andrew. With Authentic Christianity requires personal journey. And for each of these, it, it, it's, it's a process. Now, there is a moment where you cross the line. The women in, chapter, in verses 2 and 3, they're held up as examples of people who've crossed the line. We don't have time to go in it tonight, but they do the two things that Luke says characterizes this authentic faith. They have a proper disposition toward their stuff, and they believe. This is big for Luke. So he's actually holding them up as examples. But who is he holding up as examples of people who have not yet crossed the line? It's shocking. The disciples. Throughout the chapter, the disciples are clutches. They're like, who is this guy? While the disciples haven't yet crossed the line, they're still in the journey. So all this hardcore stuff I was saying about you've got to believe, you've got to obey. Look, if you're not there yet, all is not a loss. The disciples aren't there yet, but you can get there. So how do you go on this journey? How do you get there? How do you go from where the disciples are, where you're kind of scratching your head and saying, there's something here about this, right? There's something true 
And I got some days I got it and some days I don't got it. You know, how, how do you get from that to where these women are held up as these paragons of of having truly converted? It's in verse one. It's the first verse of the chapter. Soon after he went through the cities, villages, proclaiming, bringing the good news, right? He's saying it. And what does it say? And the twelve were. What's that next word? With him. How do you get there? You've got to place yourself in an environment where you're with him. Now, this is huge. How do you help your friends who are struggling in the faith? You don't argue them in the faith. They've got to get around Jesus. That's the only way. They've got to get into situations where they're hearing Jesus. What do we call that? Church. Worship. Where they're hearing the, literally, hear, what is that passage in Romans? Faith comes by what? Look, you don't have to have some PhD in theology. That's what it means. You want your friends to develop the ability to have faith in God? Bring them here and tell them to just listen. Listen to what? To the scripture readings. Be in a small group. Develop Christian friendships. Read the Bible. Pray. With Jesus, that is the only path to crossing the line into authentic Christianity. Now, I'll come back to that in a minute, but let me just say this. While you're doing that, be aware that throughout this chapter, there are two primary actors, Jesus and Satan. If if your understanding of authentic Christianity doesn't take account of the demonic, then you haven't really listened to this passage. It came up throughout the chapter. Where did we see? Let's do um, feedback. Y'all actually can talk. Where do we see demonic stuff in this chapter? It's in a lot of different forms. What forms? Mary Magdalene. The man was demon possessed with a whole legion that like, got into the pigs. And <laughs> what else? Yeah, that's right. One, one action of the demonic is to choke out. Now, look, then there's disease that one, the lady who's bleeding in all of these. The purpose of the demonic activity is to keep people from authentic faith. It's it's to keep people from experiencing salvation. In other words, as you are trying to grow in your faith, do not ever underestimate the target that puts on your back and do not ever underestimate. The creativity of the devil in bringing demonic activity into your life to keep you from growing. And when you're talking with your friends who are struggling in the faith, fight tooth and nail to get them into the community of God. Because they cannot grow to faith without that. Now. Let me wrap it all up at that point and say that if we're every single one of us, if we're going to take this chapter seriously, we've got to ask the question, where am I in the journey of faith with regard to authentic Christianity? I mean, Christ is so persistent on this issue. You would be um, a fool to think that That question is only for others. 
It's so important we take it seriously. Authentic Christianity is marked by active faith in terms of responding to Jesus' teaching by believing and obeying and persevering in trials to the point of producing fruit. Now, remember I said there was one other thing about the brothers and mother of Jesus? Flip it all around. In an oriental culture, there is no more intimate and loyal and special love than that between a person and his family. Jesus is saying, if you have authentic faith, guess what I've got for you? I've got the intimacy and the love for you that I have for my own mother. Oh, isn't that great? Don't you, can you feel Jesus? He's not only saying, look, they're not, he's, he's not saying they're not really my family. He's saying, you get to be this with me. So if as you examine where you are with, in regard to the authentic Christian faith, if you're there, rejoice. Rejoice. I heard J.I. Packer this past week, a great theologian. I was at a conference. He said, joy flows over the activity of rejoicing. He said that when we rejoice, we prime the pump. You know what priming a pump is? When we think on the blessings of God, God's joy begins to flow over those thoughts into our hearts. If you're a part of the family of God, think on the fact that you're as loved by him as he loved his mother and brothers. And as you begin to reflect on that, may the joy of the Lord flow into your life and through your life. Now, if you're not at the point of belief, obedience, persevering in trials, producing faith, then hang in there. Hang in here. Keep coming. Keep being a part of this group. Admit what you doubt. Admit what you struggle with and, and be in this environment. Place yourself in an environment. And, and I, w- I would say if you've got friends who struggle, get them into the church as fast as you can. As fast as you can. And, and for those of us who are Christians, you know what all of this means? It means that the strength of this community is more important than our own personal ability to articulate the faith with precision and perfection. Did you hear me say that earlier? People are not converted so much by my ability to say it right and to, you know, judo moves on all their, their like doubts. My ability to help people go into the faith is directly related to my ability to help them come into this group and to experience this community. What does that say to us? That says, give yourself to this community because my lost friends need it. Invest in this community. Give yourself to a Christian community because that is the source of our evangelistic power, and it is the source of every one of us, our own personal growth in Christ. Let's pray.